Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the inaugural first episode of the Poke the Bear podcast, brought to you by the only sports book you should use, and that's BetUS. There's nobody better than BetUS. I'm here with host Connor Ryan. Connor, explain a little bit to the listeners about the show. What's going on, Evan? Yeah, um, you know, we're really excited to kind of get this podcast and this project started. I think if you kind of look at some of the content we put out regularly on BSJ, I think we kind of pride ourselves on, you know, going beyond the headlines, doing kind of those deeper dives into, you know, the analytics and some of the underlying numbers with this Bruins club. And I think if you maybe follow me on Twitter, you know, we also like to have quite a lot of fun. And I think with Poke the Bay, we're looking to kind of blend all that together for you guys and putting together a great product that, you know, you Bruins cans can follow on a weekly basis. So, uh, you know, I think we're all really excited to get this thing off the ground, especially with, what's going to be a pretty interesting couple of months for this Bruins team. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be analytics. It's going to be everything you could Every, possibly want. Everything, Evan. Everything. It's taking the fun on Twitter and the fun on bostonsportsjournal.com and putting it in audio form and video form as well. That's Absolutely. coming as well. So you guys can look out for that. You can see Connor's beautiful face oh, uh, every Wednesday morning. Every Wednesday morning. Lucky, lucky everyone. Um, so obviously a weird time for this podcast to start. It's starting the day after the Bruins were eliminated by the Tampa Bay Lightning in five games, a, a series we both said would at least go seven. Well, not at least, but it would go seven, at least maybe, maybe go eight or nine games, but uh, it goes seven. We thought it would at least thought, thought it would go seven. Uh, goes five. Bruins lose in five games. Basically a mirror image of 2018. Never thought we'd say that again. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your reaction to the loss? What's your reaction to game five? And what was really the top reason the Bruins lost this? Yeah, I mean, I think you can point out a, a number of different factors as to, you know, why they came up short. And I think people will obviously point to, you know, I think the immediate thing is people look at Tuka Rask not being there. And obviously that that hurt them. If you look back at, you know, just a couple of those games where Halak let in a few of those soft goals. I mean, I think the one that always sticks out to me is just looking at that game two where Bruins were class for pretty much that entire game, right? But if you bury that goal in overtime or you, again, don't even get to overtime, you win that in regulation, all of a sudden you're up 2-0 against a Tampa team that, again, you know, they look a great team, but you get them, you know, down 2-0. Who knows when the, you know, if they kind of revert back to what you saw last year against Columbus. So um, I think, you know, the, the – play in net was obviously a concern, but I think when you look back on it, right, I think it's 
the same kind of stuff that's been plaguing this team for a long, long time. And it's, you know, a lack of uh, five-on-five scoring. I mean, they only scored five five-on-five goals in this entire series. Like, you're not going to win against, you know, the, the bottom of the barrel in terms of playoff teams when you're only scoring five, you know, five-on-five goals. You look at, uh, you know, the Bruins, you know, didn't do enough at the deadline to put them over the top, which has been an ongoing issue. I mean, you look at 2018, like, you know, they would link to a guy like Ryan McDonough who would have really helped them out for that year and years to come. You know, they whiff on that. Tampa gets them. You look last year, right? I mean, they, you know, they did a good job adding a guy like Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson. But, you know, if they just got, you know, a guy like Mark Stone, how much that would have put them over the top last year for a price that, you know, you heard, you heard of that year, right? Like, oh, you know, the Bruins don't want to give away some of these assets. Um, you know, the asking price for Ottawa was way too high. And then who did Ottawa, you know, get for Mark Stone? They got uh, Benstrom, who's like not only like, you know, spent half the year in the AHL. They got a guy who's now in the KHL, which is not really a good return value when the guy's over in Russia. And they got a second round pick. Like the Bruins couldn't match a deal like that. And then you look at this year, right? Like, um, you know, Tampa moves on with a guy like Blake Coleman, who's a guy that you should have been targeting rather than uh, Nick Ritchie, who was dreadful this series. And then, I mean, you just look at the optics, right, of how this series ended, right? Like you had Carson Coleman as your first line winger, you know, uh, and you had Andre Kasha, the guy who you thought was going to be the answer next to David Krejci on the fourth line because he was just dreadful in that game. Um so I think there's a whole lot of different factors. You look at what played into it, but again, it seems like it's the same old stuff with this team. And I think, you know, when you go looking ahead to this off season, again, the, the, you don't really know how much longer this window is going to be with this crew, but you've got to do something either going all in or do some, you know, serious juggling with this lineup to solve these issues, because it seems like it's the same thing every single year with this team. What you're hitting on is, Basically, in my estimation, this team, you know, Sweeney, since taking over as GM, has prided himself in, you know, we're a team with a good blend of young talent and and veteran talent with an eye for the future, but a desire to win in the present. And maybe that's what's hurting them. Maybe having the fence up your ass is hurting them in the sense of, you know, you're afraid to go all in on guys like Mark Stone, Ryan McDonough, Taylor Hall this year, who they, I don't know if, I forget if the Bruins were really linked to him. Mm-hmm. He was someone I thought would have made some sense. I mean, I think you had the pieces to get a guy like Taylor Hall. I know there's the curse of Taylor Hall and nobody mm-hmm. wants to touch him if you're going to the playoffs. But the reality is he would have been a great player on Krejci's right side. He could have even been on the first line. You know, you mm-hmm. could have played him in a lot of different areas. And time and again, the Bruins don't go all in, even with this veteran core. Like I thought, you know, last year and this year, 2018, 19 and 2019, 20 were the two years you go all in mm-hmm. and they did, but they didn't because I don't know if Coyle and Johansson and um, Richie and Kasha are going all in, so to speak. Um, and I think you're seeing that and, and you hit on that perfectly. I mean, you know, again, you have Carson Kuhlman up as a top six winger in a do or die game. This happens – this is two years in a row now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're absolutely right uh, with that. So you want to break down the series a little bit? I mean, what – you know, you mentioned the five-on-five scoring. You mentioned Halak not being too harassed. Was there anything else to you that stood out as a big reason why the Lightning kind of finished in five games? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you, again, look at, you know, the, the lack of production um, you got from, especially kind of in your middle six. I mean, you look at – 
yeah, David Krejci, you know, really, uh, you know, had a strong, strong finish there, but you look at kind of the guys he was dragging along and, you know, I don't think Jake DeBrusque really had a good series or a good playoff again. Again, you know, he really hasn't had a strong showing since that debut in 2018. I mean, I know he was banged up last year during the postseason, but just imagine if you had, you know, Jake DeBrusque on a hot streak last year during the playoffs, how much that would have changed things. Obviously, Andre Kasha had a pretty good start to, you know, that Carolina series and a start to this Tampa series. He seemed like he was due for a goal. I think all of us were just waiting and waiting and waiting for him to finally bury one of those chances. And then he just regresses into, I mean, that was one of the worst games I've seen from him in that game five against Tampa. And then you look at Coyle, I mean, you know, gets 10 shots on goal. Seemed like he was always around the net. And again, it's a shame that, you know, the Bruins don't have another game or two to kind of bounce back because, that third line with, with him and Bjork and Stanika were fantastic, right? Like it was much more than what you'd expect from what they've been getting when you put Nick Ritchie there. I mean, I just, I had like just flashes of just (laughs) imagining that second overtime and just what Nick Ritchie would be doing out there. And it's like, all right, Jack Stanika is uh, 21 years old. The dude's like 171 pounds, I think like soaking wet. Like he shouldn't be the guy that you should put out there against uh, that Tampa team that just has size everywhere. Right. But you know what? He might not win all, you know, battles along the boards. He might get knocked down, but like the dude was, you know, carrying the puck. He was going into that great a ice. He was creating space. And I think that's what Coyle kind of likes is when you have, you know, not these like huge big bodies that are like, you know, fighting down low, which you didn't really even see that much from Richie. But like, I think Coyle likes it, but he can just hold on to the puck and he's got wings that make space and kind of open up different seams. And that's what you saw with, Bjork and Sidnika, they were buzzing around everywhere. But again, too little, too late for them. And again, I think this is something we always talk about with some of these different combinations. Like, you know, yeah, they possess the puck. They, you know, you look at the underlying numbers, they might have the, a big edge and short attempts and scoring chances and all that jazz. But at the end of the day, you need to bury some of those chances. And, you know, you didn't see that enough from the coil line. You didn't see that five and five from Krejci, especially when you compare it to how it was in Carolina. So, uh, I think you just need more from kind of that middle six. I think when, when Coyle's at his best, you know, it's when he's having these wingers that are, you know, moving around and opening up seams. And you're seeing that from, you know, guys like Bjork and Sinika who are buzzing around. You aren't seeing that from, you know, Nick, Nick Ritchie, who's either knocking around guys at the half wall or is like slow to recover pucks. Um, so I think when you, you're the Bruins, you just need to have more of these uh, middle six guys uh, step up and, I think when you look at kind of the, the luxury that Don Sweeney and the Bruins have had, like, all right, you know, year after year, you've got this elite core, you've got this, uh, you know, great top line, elite power play, you know, elite goalie. So, you know, they're able to just kind of tinker with these pieces that you hope would kind of put them over the top instead of really swinging for the fences. And again, how many more years are you going to wait for, you know, a guy like Bjork or, you know, Jabrus to, you know, break out and be that, 25, uh, 30 goal score, or, you know, just a guy like Bjork being a 15 goal scorer. Like now is not the time to just wait for those guys to develop. Now is the time you have to take advantage of this window. So I think the onus has to be on the Bruins to, whether it be, you know, trade or free agency, they have to get, you know, a proven guy to put, you know, in that top six and, you know, let the kind of the rest of the pieces fall into place. Because again, if they get a guy in, in Bjork or Stadnika or DeBrusque, you know, breakthrough next year, great. Your already really good team gets that much better. But if you go in with the same game plan as this year where you're expecting those guys to break through, 
now is not the time or the window you need where, you know, these guys like Berger and Krejci aren't getting any younger. It's also the sense of like, you know, Bjork plays great. You know, he's great in his own zone. He's, he's great uh, on the cycle game in the offensive zone, but there's no finish. And a DeBrusque is streaky as heck. There's some finish, but not nearly as much as they want. And so you have this kind of conundrum where this keeps happening, it feels like. These young guys aren't living up to that potential that we see for them. And we see it in spurts. I mean, you know, Andres Bjork has some amazing shifts. You know, Jake DeBrusque has stretches of games where he has, you know, like 10 goals in eight games. But then he'll go 12 games without one. So it's like at some point there's got to be, you know, Bjork has to start finishing and DeBrusque has to just do this consistently. And that's very easy to say, but it's also very hard to do on the ice, um, especially in this league. Now, you mentioned the veteran core, and I think that is kind of the big thing coming out of this series. What is their future? And it feels like the story after game five was uh, Zdeno Chara seems to be done. Seems to be. We don't know. No one knows. We probably won't know for a little while. But given Doc Emmerich's uh, little uh, monologue like a, on... Like a, like a eulogy. I was like, yeah, oh, was, what the hell is this? It, <laughs> it was like he was putting this guy to rest. I mean, you, I remember... You, you, I, would think, you would think they were doing a, another eulogy after they declared Nikita Kucherov legally dead after taking that high stick to the to the noggin in that, in that, that game. That was the worst... It's funny, you know, I'm always against calling the announcers, national announcers biased. I always think people are a little insane with it. But this series was so anti-Bruins. It was so, like, Keith... And I thought going from Eddie O to Keith Jones would kind of switch it. But it was worse. I mean, McAvoy gets drilled from behind. And Keith Jones is pretty much giving Paquette a free pass. And he's also kind of blaming McAvoy. Yeah. You know, you know, these are the, the little things we have to, you know, find the positives in this season coming to an end, right? As you don't have to deal with the broadcast. We don't have to listen to Adina Menzel on, on, you know, any of those ads anymore or anything like that. No more your cousin from Boston. Like we got to find, we got to find the few diamonds in the rough here with how this season ended. So we have to look. Yeah, We we, we also have to don't do it. We don't have to deal with Mark James tweets anymore. (laughs) Horrendously terrible takes after Bruins games. It's funny. EDT 51 on Twitter is one of my favorite Bruins (laughs) follows. Everyone knows EDT. He was in, he was in red form. Had some great uh, Keith Jones tweets. Uh, I'll read one. Pennywise lures an eight-year-old child into a storm drain. Keith Jones, Boosh, you ever find anything good in the sewer? Me either. Got to be more aware of your surroundings here. Uh, he, he had some he great ones. He, w- he just, you know what? It was honestly better than tweeting the game. Uh, just Abraham Lincoln assassinated. Keith Jones, Boosh, you just don't go to the theater to look at the back of someone's <laughs> top hat all night. So, um, he was great. Uh, but it's true. I mean, Keith Jones was just basically like, what is McAvoy doing there? He turned. Paquette drilled his head into the boards. Um, so the NBC broadcast, aside from Doc, we love Doc. Everyone loves Doc. But outside of Doc, well, and Boosh, I love Boosh in the glass usually. Oh, yeah. Jesus. L- literally, literally in the glass, too. Like, literally in inside case. glass. Like, I think that is so funny. They just don't let him out. He just stays there for the entire uh, length of, of – um, of the of the uh, return to play, he never leaves. His bed's in there. He's at a kitchen. He goes down underneath. Um, but the NBC broadcast was horrendous, uh, in my opinion. But Doc gave like a eulogy to Zdeno Chara, which makes me think Doc's not a dumb guy, and Doc knows a lot of people. Wouldn't be surprised if he knew something. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be surprised. And the way that Cassidy talked of co- of coaching Chara, basically saying that Chara coached him mm-hmm. and Marshawn calling him an icon and a sure ballot hall of famer. 
got to think he's probably gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was kind of the, the biggest takeaway from just the overall kind of post-game comments, right? I mean, I think if you compare it to, you know, last year, I think obviously the number one emotion was kind of just shock, right? Of just, I mean, again, you lose game seven of the Stanley Cup final on home ice, that's going to be, you know, a devastating result. And, you know, those guys are pretty much shell-shocked. But I think kind of the, the main theme last year was kind of regret. I think this year it was kind of like resignation or, you know, just acceptance of, you know, the reality that, they may not get another legitimate crack at this with, with this core. And um, again, for Chara, I think it all is going to kind of depend on, you know, whether he wants to, you know, go through another quick turnaround this season, which again, we don't, the tentative stat date is December 1st, but who knows what's going to happen there. We don't know if they're going to be in a bubble again. If <laughs> a guy like him with a family, you know, has to go through a bubble again, you wonder if him or any other veterans or want to put up with this crap for another whole year or half a year or something like that. So I think for the, for Chara, it's, you know, I think, you know, he's always talked about that he wants to, you know, play until he can't anymore. And I think for him, it just has to be accepting of a role in which, um, you know, he's no longer that top pairing guy. And, it, you know, it was a tough series for him against, you know, both Carolina and Tampa. I think he had a pretty strong uh, game five, but I think Cassie said all along, like, you know, now when you look at Chara's value, it's obviously on the PK and it's, kind of when they're holding a lead and unfortunately they didn't hold a lead that often against Tampa Bay. So you really couldn't see him deployed in those spots. But I think if you bring him back, um, you know, next year's like a third pairing guy, defensive specialist, uh, you know, I think that, you know, would work out for all parties involved because I think that also frees up a guy like McAvoy. If you put him with, you know, a guy like Matt Grizzlick who that allows him to kind of get freed up, you know, Grizzlick for as much as he's maybe a smaller guy, he's also, good with the first pass, like defensively responsible, has an active stick. So that's a top pairing that, you know, if you want to really switch things up and try to get the best out of both those guys could go a long way, but it all kind of comes back to whether Chara weighs, you know, the, the cost and uh, the effort to, you know, put together another season like this. And if it is again, the end for him, you know, with the Bruins, then it's kind of just a shame that it has to end on kind of a, a year like this with, you know, no fans or even if, you know, the Bruins come back next year and, and fall short, if Chara wraps it up next year and it's in front of a, you know, hopefully a, a packed garden again, then that would be kind of the conclusion you'd hope all, you know, we're all looking for. But I think it's all going to kind of depend on whether he's willing to take that kind of lesser role next year. Still wasn't as bad as Brady throwing a pick six on his final Patriots play. Um, yep. But you know, the interesting thing about Chara is, and, I, and Chara gets a lot of hate. He's got a lot of hate the past few years for being slow and all that stuff. And I understand it. You know, it's, it, it's, you know, he is slower, but do they have that next guy to be a number one left shot defenseman? The answer is no, they don't at all. And again, especially now if Krug stays, you can make a case that it's maybe Krug. That seems really not in the cards right now, given their cap situation, which is a whole nother thing that this mm-hmm. podcast will discuss later on as the future of crew. But I don't know if you have that next left shot defenseman. Um, and do you, are you, do you feel comfortable going into a, you know, whenever the hell that next season happens with a decor of Grizzlick, Lazan, John Moore, Erho Vakaninen, potentially Jacob Zaboral on the left side? I mean, that's, that's not, going to beat Tampa that might not even beat Toronto yeah no I mean I think my biggest concern when you look at just that left side and we'll just say if you know Chara ties and and Krug leaves again I 
my biggest concern is maybe just kind of the the depth on that on that left side. Because again, I think if you put McAvoy with Chara, uh, McAvoy with Grizzlick, rather, I think you have you know something there, and that could be a really dynamic kind of top pairing that can do a little bit of everything. But then, all right, you move up Grizzlick, and again, it's who's kind of be those those next guys you kind of rely on. Like you still need some size further down the lineup, and even if a guy like Vakanainen or Zaboral or, you know, any of those guys pan out, they're not really like a, you know, big physical, you know, defenseman. So do you, you know, go out in free agency and get a guy like, you know, uh, Brendan Dillon, who's, you know, six, four is kind of like a third pairing guy. Um, something like that, because again, you can't, you know, I think go into next year hoping that uh, Vakanainen or Zaboral are going to be just these guys you're going to roll with. Like maybe they surprise you during, during camp. I mean, give credit, I think, you know, Zaboral gets a lot of flack, obviously, for his draft positioning and maybe his kind of stagnant development. But you listen to Don Sweeney and Jay Leach at the end of the year, and they were kind of praising kind of the way he played down the stretch for Providence. And I think going into the year, we all thought Vak and Ine was maybe going to contend for a, a spot out of camp. And all of a sudden, it seems like his stock has dropped quite a bit this year. So you never kind of know how these guys pan out. But again, if you're the Bruins and you're trying to take advantage of this kind of short window they have here, I don't think you can go in with, you know, those younger guys or, you know, again, a guy like John Moore who, you know, John Moore I think is a great guy in that locker room. But for a guy you're paying $2.75 million, you can't have that be your eighth defenseman or a guy that you put out there. It seems like it's just always going to be a liability. So they got to do some definite tweaks to that uh, blue line, especially if both Krug and Char are on around. John Moore or Charlie Moore? You have to pick one. Um, I will say, uh, it, 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 you know, it, things aren't looking amazing uh, for next season, at least now. Granted, this is a negative time. Things are going to be negative. Things might get more positive. They might re-sign Krug. Char might come back. They might go out and trade for really good uh, number one left shot defenseman. But um, it's never too early to get in on next season and uh, placing bets. Uh, Connor, I want to give you an opportunity to sort of uh, discuss – uh, this shows uh, Poke the Bears' main sponsor, BetUS. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, listen up, sports bettors. This is Connor Ryan here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. Football, basketball, and baseball are all back, and that means it's time to get down your bets. And I only endorse one sports book, and that's BetUS.com. Why do you ask? BetUS is the pioneer in online betting with more than 25 years in the business. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sportsbook that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, entertainment, and all kinds of crazy prop bets and futures. So call today at 1-800-79-BETUS. That's 1-800-79-BETUS, and they will walk you through getting started. Nobody in this industry gives you bigger bonuses than BetUS. Join now. Mention Connor Ryan. And that's Connor with one N and you can get up to 150% in bonuses on your first deposit. No one beats that 25 years in the business, the best bonuses bet us should be your sports book. So join today again, call 1-800-79-BET-US or go to betus.com. Remember mention Connor Ryan, Connor with one N to get your bonus. And you'll get, and I think you should be able to get a bigger bonus. If you say not even Connor Ryan sent you Connor Ryan, Sent you. Yeah, that exactly. I think should yeah, get you the extra. Around. It should be an extra bonus. You get Kana Ryan, or you say Kata Hat, and you immediately get. You that's know, that's it, the worst part about not about not moving on is we don't even again. Philly's in the hole too, but you, you're not getting that rare Kata Hat matchup anymore. It's brutal. 
Well, if the Bruins had played the Islanders, you could have Semyon Valamov, I guess. Oh, but I don't, I don't, it doesn't I, ring the same way when it's a It doesn't a ring Russian. the same way. It, yeah. it doesn't ring the same way at all. Kata, and, it, and don't they call – the Flyers call Carter Hart Kata Hot. Like, that's Kevin exactly, Hayes yeah. gave him the nickname. At least yeah. that's what NBC told me uh, yes. in one of their little intermission skits. Um, so, along with the future, part of it is this fun thing we like to call the Stanley Cup window. Um, and a lot of people are saying it is now closed. It is officially done. There is no chance at a Stanley Cup next year or in future years, at least with this core. Um, but there's still something there, I think. And, and again, this loss in game five only makes that game seven loss to the St. Louis Blues that much worse. But I will say, Connor Ryan, do you think the Stanley Cup window has closed? No, I do. I do not. Uh, again, I think you look at, um, you know, the, the window this team has, is it as good as it was two years ago? No. Like again, the fact that they lost that game seven to a blues team that again, promptly, you know, completely imploded in the first round and Jordan Binton showed kind of the, you know, what you expect a guy like him to put forward during a playoff series. And that's going to haunt this team forever. But I still think when you look at this Bruins team, even if, you know, they lose a guy like Tory Krug, which I think is m- most likely going to be the scenario just in terms of cap and longevity and even factor in the expansion draft of Seattle, all, all these different factors point to a situation in which he, you know, opts for a bigger payday somewhere else. Um, but even if you lose a guy like him, I still think you've got a, a core to build around, a core that will be competitive, a core that at least is going to get you back into the postseason. You're not going to be, you know, a, a team that I think just sneaks into the Eastern Conference, right? Like you still got Bergeron, Krejci, and, and Marchand. You got all, you know, all the usual suspects you have. Charlie Coyle is back for another year. Um, Charlie McAvoy, you know, again, took another really big step forward this year. I mean, for a guy who I think we all thought was concussed at the end of that game, I mean, he was outstanding in that. In that outstanding. Overtime. He, he outstanding the whole postseason. Yeah, no, I mean, he's a guy that, again, he hasn't even come close to reaching his ceiling as to what he can provide. And, if again, if you give him more minutes, more offensive minutes, especially if you take him off that Chara pairing and let him kind of, uh, you know, operate a bit more up in the zone, I think you could see a lot more production there. So I think they've already got a good core to build on. It's just, uh, you know, I don't think this can be the off season in which Don Sweeney, again, hopes that, you know, Trent Frederick breaks out or Andrews York breaks out or, <laughs> or, you know, I think they're really excited to see what Jackson Niga can provide next year in a full season. And I'm, you know, I, I think people should be excited about what he could bring, but again, I don't think you can go into this, this season, your kind of last real shot before guys like Krejci and Halak and, and Rask and all these guys are up for contracts. I don't think you can go into it hoping that Stanika is going to, you know, going to drop him in there and he's going to get you 40, 45 points, right? That's just not, realistic for a team that doesn't have a lot of time to kind of put put themselves over the top here so they've got to do something during this this offseason to add a legitimate guy whether that be you know a guy on the blue line but especially just someone in the in the top six a guy that can slot guys like Kasha and DeBrus and be further down the lineup where they could still you know round out that bottom six scoring but I mean, you just go down the list of guys who you think could be on the trade block this year. Like, then it's not even like, you know, they have to, you know, open up the wallet for a guy like Taylor Hall. Like, you still got 
Kyle Paul Mary, who I think is a guy that they should have targeted during this trade deadline. Um, yes. He's a guy that would put you over the top. He's, again, I, he's not as good as Mark Stone. I think Mark Stone's probably the most, you know, underrated forward maybe in the entire NHL. But, like, Kyle Paul Mary's like Mark Stone light. Like, the dude scores a bunch of goals, does a whole bunch of the little things that help you, you know, in a series, especially one that should have that should have had a pretty tight margin like Tampa Bay. Um I wouldn't be surprised if Columbus, you know, dangles out a guy like Josh Anderson, which his value is probably pretty low considering he had shoulder surgery. But, like, Josh Anderson's the guy that a team like the Bruins should be looking for. Like, a guy like that over a guy like Nick Ritchie. Like, Josh Anderson is a big dude, throws his weight around, kind of like Blake Coleman, but he's not, you know, this this hulking dude, right? Like, Josh Anderson just Brute. takes the body, knocks guys over, and gets to the front of the net, and that's how he buries his goals, like, that's a guy you look at. Um, so there's that's a, a guy of, who can get inside on the Tampa Bay Lightning defense. Exactly. And again, like you saw just what Blake Coleman did for them. Like Blake Coleman, I think is like five eleven. I don't think he's even six feet. But he's like five eleven. Yeah, but dude throws his weight around. Like after every whistle, he's you know getting involved in a scrum. Like those are the guys you should be tackling. A guy like that that can have that kind of blend of skill and and snarl that you need during these playoff series, and the guy that can bury the puck. You saw it in this series, so. Um, that's what the Bruins have to do, whether it's sacrificing some of these, you know, other, you know, younger prospects they have, or like now is just the time to go all in. Like you can't hope that, you know, these younger guys are all of a sudden going to break through when, I mean, you've seen over the years, some of these guys not pan out or not develop into what they thought. Like, I think two, three years ago, if you told them like, Hey, you have to trade Jacob Wisbaka Carlson for, you know, a guy that could be a reliable middle six guy, people would probably be hesitant because they thought JFK was going to be this next third line center for this team. And he's now in Sweden. Like, again, if you hold on to these assets for too long and they don't pan out, now is not the time to do it with the way this core is. Exactly. And I think, and, and again, if they show up next season, whenever that happens, and you know, you have Carson Kuhlman on the right side of the second line, or you know, you're expecting Trent Frederick to break out. Like the, the urgency to go all in should have been there in 2019, 2020. This should have been the year they went all in. And I also think they should have went a little bit more all in in 2018, 19. Again, they got to game seven of the cup, but now we can safely look back at that and say, yeah, that was mainly because of the easy road. And I think that's some, you know, not having to face Tampa in the second round um really helped them get to the Stanley Cup final but um you're right something has to be done there has to be a move made there has to be you know getting a top six forward I loved Kyle Palmieri at the deadline I would love the Bruins to get him now um but that's that is like that's what it comes down to and and you mentioned Josh Anderson as well I think Josh Anderson would also be a great fit so um that's sort of the lay of the land with the Bruins right now yeah and I mean, also, I think when you look at just kind of taking even a, a look at kind of the landscape with the way this Broads team's constructed, like, I think people, maybe a lot of the the negativity might have to do with uh, the fact that, listen, you got beat by a Tampa team that was much better than you. Their core is a lot younger than yours. Like, how are they going to come back from it? But I think also you have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, there's a lot of contenders, especially in the East, that are going to have to take a deep look at their own rosters and have to make some sacrifices because of this flat cap. So again, the Bruins, you might lose a guy like Krug, but if you lose Krug, I think you're entering this off season with about 15 million to spare without having to even try to get rid of, you know, maybe Moore's contract or anything else like that. Like, uh, you know, you look at Tampa Bay, I think they have 5 million in cap 
available yep. with this flat Five cap. Million. And they got to re-sign. Anthony Sorelli is an RFA. Mikhail Sergachev's an RFA. Eric Chernak, who's a top-pairing guy for them, he's an RFA. So, again, I don't think you're going to see those guys get – you know, uh, get an offer sheet or anything like that, but you're going to have to trade Kalorn or Palat, who is a Bruins killer this series, to just get back under the cap for this team. You look at Toronto, and they got bailed out by that awful trade that Pittsburgh made with them for Kapanen, but they're still a team that, again, you don't have, a, you have quite a few questions about that core in Toronto, how much they can really win with those guys. They still don't have, you know, they're not flush with cash, and they're losing a big chunk of that decor, which is not even that good. Like I'm looking, good. Forward, I'm looking forward to Toronto, like the Toronto media, like being like, well, you know, we're really excited. Like Dubas got Slava Shalinishnikov from the KHL and he's going to be the breakout star this year. It's like, you can't keep on going to the KHL to get these guys in Toronto. So like you got them, Washington, their window might be closed. They don't like to spend money on a good coach. So you can only go so far when they're just, you know, they got pennies on the dollar there. Like the the window the Bruins have, some of it's also the byproduct of the fact that this flat cap is really going to screw over a whole bunch of these teams that are in your way too. So, you know, we'll see how – it's not like some of these GMs, like, don't know what they're doing, especially, like, Tampa. That's such a well-run organization. But they're going to have to cut away some pieces just to keep some of the, this core intact. Exactly. And I think you're right about it. I mean, Sorelli, Sergachev, Cernak – um, I think Shattenkirk's a UFA as well. He's I doubt he'll be back. Yeah. Like there's so much in five million in cap space. Um, God forbid, imagine they had Krug on that team. They had to re-sign him. That would be very tough. Um, but you're right. Uh, the the path around the Bruins might actually get a little bit easier. But again, next off season is not going to be easy. Next off season, you got Brask if he doesn't retire or leave before then, which feels like it might be a possibility. Um, you have Krejci, you have Berger on the offseason after. Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's the first day of this offseason. Uh, but, but that's what we've got to do. We've got to have fun with this, especially the new Poke, Poke Bear podcast. Connor, uh, this was a blast. I'm glad uh, we did this. When This will be out every – for the listeners, this will be out every Wednesday morning, correct? Yes. So I'm Wednesday morning, Boston Sports Journal, Connor Ryan. Uh, I'm Evan Marinovsky. Uh, Poke the Bear listeners – Get ready because it's going to be a fun ride. Connor, anything you want to say before we leave? Yeah, no, again, just uh, be sure to check in every week. Um, we're going to have, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, interesting guests, a whole bunch of great conversations, especially with the way this offseason is kind of uh, going to be mapped out, looking at kind of the moves they have to make. And we'll have a whole bunch of other different segments too. I'm sure we'll have some kind of lighter countdowns as, as the offseason goes on. We have to find some ways to divide our time during an offseason, which we don't know how long it's going to last for. I'm sure we're going to have, you know, mailbag questions, questions from you guys, the fans. So we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff we're excited to roll out. So definitely stay tuned. What I think is really cool is for the Boston Sports Journal subscribers, they're going to have a place to really talk to you and, and listen to you and hear what you have to say. Because usually, obviously, it's, it's just writing typically. Now you have the audio aspect and you're going to have the visual aspect soon. So um, for BSJ listeners, for just Bruins fans in general, uh, there's a lot coming your way. Uh, but yeah, this was fun. First Poke Bear podcast out of the way. All negativity, but that's what we like to do. Get it out of the way first, right? Get get all the bad stuff out of the way first so we can get to the good stuff later on. Uh, Connor, this was a blast. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Connor Ryan, have a great week.